Okay, it's my privilege to read from Acts chapter 2. And if you want to come with me, it's on page 1093. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make in your enemies a footstool for my feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Good morning. And perhaps I could say happy birthday, because this is a birthday, isn't it? We celebrate the birth of the church. And as with most births, there's a time of waiting, a time of expectancy, a pregnancy, if you like, and that's just what we're coming to the end of through uh, the time between Ascension and Pentecost, those nine days or 11 days. And it is an amazing birth story, isn't it? Thank you, Tim, for reading it so beautifully. It's an incredible supernatural event of the Holy Spirit coming in power. And we see those two elemental signs, don't we, of wind signifying the breath of God, the life of God, and fire, the holiness of God, the holiness of his love. And of course, we, sitting here today, are part of what was birthed that day, 2,000 years ago. 
And that's an amazing thing. And I think um, for us this morning, our prayer is probably just as the disciples were praying in that upper room. Our prayer is the same as theirs. We pray, come, Holy Spirit. Don't we? That's what we say, come, Holy Spirit. And I just thought this morning that is what I would, in a way, unpack with you. What do we mean when we say, come, Holy Spirit? What does the coming of the Holy Spirit mean for us today, here and now? It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, that we're not just Easter people, but that we're Pentecost people as well. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I am an Anglican, born and bred, uh, On Pentecost Sunday, you tend to wear red, I gather, uh, if you were dressing up, uh, so hence the skirt. But as uh, all good Anglicans, um, all good Anglicans know that sermons have three points, and they all begin with the same letter, and mine's no different. So uh, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit and how he comes to us. And I'm going to say, first of all, that he is a promise fulfilled, and then I'm going to talk about how the Holy Spirit comes through prayer, and then I'm going to talk about how the Holy Spirit comes with power. So that's where I'm going. I should say that uh, I have been going to Anglican churches all my life, except for a couple of years, no, one year perhaps, when I went to a charismatic Baptist church, so uh, forgive me that. (laughs) So in order to see how the Holy Spirit is a promise fulfilled. We need to see this story in context, of course. Jesus had promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to them. There's this lovely strange bit at the end of Luke when Jesus ascends to heaven, and uh, Luke records it like this. He says, while he was blessing them, while Jesus was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but on first reading, that does sound strange. He left them, he departed from them, and they returned with great joy. Now, my son is about to, no, not about, in January, he's going to fly off to New Zealand for six months. And I can promise you that at the airport, when he leaves me, I will not return home with great joy. Uh, because I love my son, and I love having him around. And it's a strange thing, isn't it? Why did the disciples, why were they filled with joy? Why did they return rejoicing? And I think it is because Jesus, a few verses before, we read that Jesus explained to them what was going to happen. He opened their minds to the scriptures. I'm sure Jesus, when he was promising them the Holy Spirit, He took them to that prophet Joel and explained to them that what the prophet Joel promised all those hundreds of years before was going to take place, that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And they believed in those promises. And because they believed in those promises, they were filled with joy. So what about us this morning? How much do we really believe in the promise that Jesus will give us his Holy Spirit. We can say, yes, oh, I know, I believe that. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. But how much do we really live like we believe that, that he has given us his Holy Spirit? Because he definitely has. None of us would be sitting here this morning 
if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit's work in our life to bring us into church this morning. So even if you don't feel like you know him very well, be assured that he is at work in you, otherwise you wouldn't be here today. And I think so many of us disqualify ourselves in some way, that we think that we're somehow different or separate or, or unworthy. Perhaps we say, you know, we look at others and we think, well, they're the ones that lift their hands in a song or they're the ones that lead something or they're the ones that are preaching this morning or <laughs> they perhaps are people who speak in tongues or people who have the gift of prophecy. And we disqualify the fact of ourselves are the ones also who God promises his Holy Spirit to. As we heard read, it is to all who call on him. And we must remember, mustn't we, that the Holy Spirit brings Jesus closer to us and, it bring, and he brings us closer to Jesus. I think um, this is also why the, the disciples, perhaps they understood a little bit more about how amazing the gift of the Spirit is because they remember they had Jesus physically with them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've envied that and I've thought that would be amazing, wouldn't it, to have Jesus here with us physically. But you know, the Holy Spirit brings Jesus to us and it's, he's closer than our breath even. And he is more real to us than our bodies. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us today. And that is the promise of Pentecost. And then we have to live as if it is true. I know that there was a time in my life when I was struggling to come to church even. And a lovely, older, wiser lady said to me, Sue, just hold on to the promises of God. Just hold on to the promises of God. And I think that's my word for us this morning. Because there will be times when God feels absent. There will be times when it doesn't feel as though you've experienced anything of the Holy Spirit. There'll be times when you feel too full of yourself and not full of God. And there'll be many times when you feel unworthy or ill-equipped. But it is in those moments when we need to hold on to the promises of God that he gives us his Holy Spirit. And perhaps our prayer is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, by nature, I'm a practical person. Uh, when people are sharing great ideas and concepts and plans and dreams, I'm the one who's got in her head this question, mm, but how? How's that going to work? I don't know how that's going to work out in practice. What are we going to, how does that, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? And, uh, I thought that this would be a good question to ask ourselves this morning. So next slide. How, how does the Holy Spirit come to us? Well, of course, we know, don't we, that he comes to us through prayer. In the previous chapter, Acts chapter 1, we read that when the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem, they prayed. It says in chapter 1, verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We think that there was probably about, about as many as there are today, maybe 120, no, we're probably more than that now, aren't we? 
there was that many gathering together to pray. They were either, it seems like, for those nine days, they were either in the temple worshipping or in their homes praying. And we know when, when Paul says, keep on being filled with the Spirit, that he says in Ephesians, we know that the way we receive more of the Holy Spirit is through prayer. So he's telling us to keep on praying. And I think some of the simplest truths are often the hardest to put into practice, aren't they? We've got to be careful that just because we're involved in receiving the Holy Spirit, we must never forget that it's all about God's grace. It's not about us. So it's not about how well you pray or how often you pray or how good your praying is. God lavishly blesses us with his Holy Spirit. It's all about his grace. I think, uh, as you will probably guess, leading up to preaching this morning, I felt the need to pray, and I asked others to pray for me. And one of the great prayer warriors amongst us had a picture for me that I thought I would share this morning because I think it helps illustrate what I'm trying to say. He had a picture of, um, well, let's, let's say it's a bottle of champagne, basically a bottle of really fizzy stuff. And this bottle's really shaken up. And of course, we have a choice, don't we? We can either just ease the lid off gently and try and save as much and, and not make too much mess. Or we can, as it all well shaken up bottle, we can pop the cork off and it goes everywhere and is very messy and uh, exuberant. And as I was reflecting on it, I realized, of course, that both these ways are good, aren't they? They're both good. When my godson um, won his football match, his county football match, they had a bottle of fizz. And at that moment, it was right to celebrate. They shook it out hard, they popped the cork off, and it went everywhere, and they tried to make it go as far as it possibly could. But most of us, if we've shaken up a bottle of fizz unintentionally, perhaps, and we don't want to spill it all, we gently release the lid and pour it out. I really do think it is the same with the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives us his Holy Spirit in both those ways. By his grace, there are times of great outpouring where the Holy Spirit comes with visible signs and wonders where we're overwhelmed, where it's very obvious what's happening, that God is pouring out his Holy Spirit upon us. But there are also many, many times, and perhaps probably most commonly, the Holy Spirit just comes gently when we pray. And it seems very commonplace, doesn't it? It seems unimpressive and not very interesting when he comes like that. But I do believe that is the primary way we grow in the Spirit, because it is that daily recognition of our need for God, that daily humility of saying, Lord, come, I need you. Let it be more about you and less about me. And the two go together, don't they? The, the one prepares the way for the other. We know that those disciples were praying uh, for nine or 11 days, depending on how you count them, for the dramatic outpouring of the Spirit, and he came. So let's be expectant for both. Let's look for both. Let's ask God for both. 
And let's never try and limit God, never believe that God can only give us his Holy Spirit in a particular way. It seems like we're very easily offended, aren't we, about how God works. If, he's, if he works very dramatically and very uh, obviously, sometimes we can get a little bit upset and offended. But if he works very quietly and undramatically, we can feel a little bit offended that that's not how we wanted it. Let us be humble before God and receive from him in whatever way he wishes to give us. And can I encourage us to try something different in our prayer life, to try different ways of receiving from God? Um, recently, I went away on a, a weekend of training, and uh, it was all about prayer. And uh, the woman who was training us talked about those three great spiritual disciplines of silence, solitude, and stillness. And what inspired me about what she was saying was, you can do those three things, but you can mix and match them. So perhaps for some of you, you've never actually sat still in God's presence without reading or doing anything, but just sitting still. Maybe uh, you have never spent much time in silence. You've never spent 10 minutes, for example, in silence with the Lord. And maybe that's not something you really particularly relish the idea of doing it on your own. Maybe you could sit with ten, for 10 minutes with other people. Or maybe solitude is something that actually you don't get a lot of and you would love more of. And you can do solitude but listening to something, or you can do solitude doing something. You can mix those three. So be imaginative, be creative, think about how can I receive more from the Lord? Where does he want to, to draw me, as it were? Where, does he, where is he calling me to um, receive from him? And I think we can say that history teaches us that God often meets us in unexpected ways and in unexpected places. Little villages in the highlands of Scotland, uh, in a back street in California in the early 1900s, for me, it was in a park in the east end of London uh, about 30 years ago. He gave me the gift of tongues in, as I was praying to him there. So let's not limit God. When we pray, we are simply saying, Lord, have less of me and more of you. And if we want more of God, we have to give more to God. If we want to hear more from God, we need to listen more to him. And if we want more of his spirit's work in our life, we have to give up, as it were, our own control of our lives and give him to God. Simon Ponsonby, in his book called More, about the Holy Spirit, he writes, until he is exalted, crowned, and glorified, there can be no Pentecost. So let's do that in our prayer lives. So the last thing, the Spirit, the last thing I wanted to mention about the Holy Spirit is that he comes with power, of course. He comes with power to change, to change us and to change the world. This is our hope, isn't it? Pentecost was the beginning of the new era of the Spirit. I'm sure the disciples had been praying like a lot of us have been praying these last few days, particularly, thy kingdom come. And God's kingdom came, didn't it? 
The church was born, and that was the sign of God's kingdom on earth, the birth of this new multinational community called the church. And the church was born with the purpose of witnessing to Christ. That is why we're here. The Spirit comes for so many different reasons. He comes to assure us of our faith. He comes to show us more of who Jesus is. He comes to change us, of course. He comes to edify us and build us up. But primarily, the Spirit comes, first and foremost, to lead us, to show others who Jesus is. We receive power from on high to point to the one who is seated on high. Jesus says it, doesn't he, to his disciples. In the chapter before the one Tim read, Jesus says to his disciples, wait for me, wait rather, wait, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say, I hope you'll be my witnesses, or I trust you'll be my witnesses, or maybe you'll be my witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses. That is who we are as church. We witness to Jesus. And I think this story shows us how that happens in a wonderful way because Pentecost was like a reversal of Babel, wasn't it? Babel was all about um, divisions and everyone speaking different languages. And of course, in this story, there's this wonderful coming together. There's this wonderful unifying force that means that despite their differences, they can all hear that news, the wonderful news of God in their own languages. A lot of you will know that we lived in Amsterdam for some years, and Amsterdam is possibly one of the most multicultural cities in Europe, with about 127 different nationalities, I think, in the city. And in our church, we were blessed with over 50 different nationalities worshipping together. And people used to talk about, when they visited, that it was a little bit of a taste of heaven. And I promise you that wasn't because of anything special that we were doing in our church. It was purely and simply because of this amazing sense of coming together across many different nationalities and, and races and, and um, backgrounds. Because the kingdom, God's kingdom, is all about breaking down barriers, all about breaking down walls of division. And when he comes, he does this. I often think about the incarnation as being the greatest sort of cross-cultural act in history, that Jesus left what was familiar and he crossed the divide, as it were. He broke down that barrier between us and God. He went to the outsider. He went to the one who is different. He bridged the gap. It's normal for us, isn't it, to stick together. It's normal for like to attract like. You know, we've got that English expression, haven't we? Birds of a feather flock together. I tell you, that is true. That is true. It's natural to go to people who are like you. But actually, the Holy Spirit comes with power for us to be different, for us to actually not do just what comes naturally, but to do the thing that God is asking of us. He gives us the power to bring people together, to cross divides. Uh, 
if you've been doing Thy Kingdom Come, um, if you've been following the prayer initiative from the Archbishop, you, like me, might have been really moved to see the Pope talking with, I think, the Archbishop beside him. And we didn't actually see him, but I'm sure he was there. And, and that wonderful picture of unity, of how the Holy Spirit is bringing people together in prayer. So who do we find it hard to get on with? Who do we feel distant from? Where are the groups or divisions in our community? Perhaps they might even be between the 9.30 and 11.15, or between the old and the young, or between the students and the non-students. Maybe it's between the Brexiteers and the Remainers, or the haves or the have-nots. There are so many divisions in our world, aren't there? We only need to listen to the news, and we can see those dividing lines. But the Lord is asking us to be church and to be different, to be a community that models who Jesus is in his incarnational nature, in the way that he reaches out across divisions and divides. Because Jesus did that, didn't he, through love and holiness. And that is what he's asking of us. The other day, I read a great description of what a holy life looks like. The writer said, a holy life is a life that works. It's great, isn't it? A holy life is a life that works. Because you see, Jesus knows how to live our lives. Jesus knows how to parent. He knows how to prioritize. He knows how to remain healthy. He knows how to love. He knows how to give. Jesus knows how to do our life. And the wonderful thing about Pentecost, of course, is that he doesn't just show us how to do that. He says, I am going to live in you so that you can do that. You have the power to live as I would live. Because the Holy Spirit, as we've said, brings Jesus to us in a way that is as close as our breath. And Jesus actually lives inside us. We've sung, haven't we, about the fact that Jesus gave up his life for us. And I often think when the, when the Lord gives us his spirit, it's like he's saying, I gave up my life for you in order to give it back to you. I am giving you my life to live. So receive my life in that way. Paul gets it, doesn't he, when he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We are his temple. He lives within us. We have the power to live incarnationally. We have the power to live lives of holiness and love. So let us ask God for more of his Holy Spirit. Amen.